We'd like to thank our friends at Sleep Number for sponsoring the Thrive Global Podcast. Sleep Number is changing the way we sleep with their latest beds, the Sleep Number 360 Smart Beds. They automatically adjust on each side to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Discover the difference at sleepnumber.com slash thrive. Hello and welcome to the Thrive Global Podcast on iHeartRadio. If you've listened to music in the last 10 years, you've definitely intersected in some way with the work of today's guest. He's been working in music for practically his entire life. He got his first internship at a radio station at 11 years old and was music director by 16. From there, he did stints at Arista, Interscope, and now Apple Music. He's helping transform the music industry while still producing and collaborating with artists like Drake, Lena Del Rey, DJ Khaled, Larry Jackson. Welcome to the Thrive Global Podcast. Wow, wow. <laughs> what, a, what an intro from a legend. <laughs> so great to have you here wow. in my home in L.A. Thank you for having me. And in fact, your office is in L.A. Yeah, yeah, okay. in uh, Culver City. In Culver City. And Beverly Hills, where my house is at. Have an office there in your home office. Yeah, it's the first office I go to every day, which is perfect. I yeah. have my home office here mm-hmm. and my home office in New York. The path is out of bed, hydrate, steam, meditate, office. Amazing. Yeah. No jumping to your phone first thing. No, no, I keep the phone in the bathroom. So when did you start doing that? Um, when I realized that it was like interrupting my sleep schedule at night. It's not conducive to like a good solid. I, you know, I, for me, I feel like that's like, I hate to say it because it sounds kind of um, lazy, but it's like the best part of the day. <laughs> that morning part. No, sleeping. Oh, sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what I mean? You work so hard all day. We deserve it. So why would I want anybody to get in the way of that? That's my own sacred special time. So then that's when I started putting it in the bathroom when I started having like that realization, like, I owe this to myself. I deserve this. So why would I let anyone who's able to interrupt my other 16 hours interrupt these eight (laughs) hours that are so special and joyous to me? So that's how we first connected because Mm -hmm. we we met at a garden party in Malibu. Yeah, at Mark Burnett's house. At Mark Burnett's house and and Rama Downey's house. Beautiful, overlooking the sea. Mm -hmm. And uh, you started talking about the recognition that even though you are in this incredibly hyper-connected mm-hmm. music industry, mm-hmm. you have come to realize, as you just said, mm-hmm. how important it is to create boundaries, yeah. to celebrate technology, yeah. but also create the sacred boundaries. And I am so passionate about this topic, yeah. and, and yet it's so rare to encounter somebody who has experienced the other side mm-hmm. of being constantly on and and seeing the damage that this can do and now yeah. coming to this awareness. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, metaphorically speaking, it's it's a flame. You're burning, I'm burning. You know, we burn and, and sustain for whatever level of time we do, you know, in our lives. But, you know, a simple breeze or a gust could really blow it out quite easily. So it's something that I'm hyper aware of as it relates to protecting my own flame. You know, a lot of the individuals that I'm hyper connected to kind of laugh at me and a friend of mine who's an artist oftentimes calls me a nerd or a dork but it's like it's actually something that I wear as a bit of a badge of honor because I can go on and deal with people hopefully much longer in life <laughs> by protecting that Where, where's some wood to knock on you know because none of it's really promised and none of it I'm expecting so you know it goes on as long as I'm allowed for it to go on but I mean while I'm here I'm going, certainly going to protect my flame that's for sure and do yeah. you also have a sense of wanting to help people that you intersect with, that you interact with, that you mm-hmm. um, make music deals with? Mm-hmm. Do you have that kind of missionary sense of wanting to share that realization with them? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Your friend and my friend, DJ Khaled, we talk about it all the time. I just was talking to him yesterday about that very thing. You know, you don't ever want to come off Um, That was exactly what I was going to say. Too preachy or holier than thou or, you know, I've got all the answers because I don't have all the answers. But 
I have, however, seen certain friends of mine, you know, may they rest in peace, such as Whitney Houston, who passed at 48 years old. You know, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn or speaking poorly, but I don't think that she necessarily protected her flame as well as she could have. So, And there's a, a very elementary need for us to rest, for us to rest our bodies, mm-hmm. for us to rest our brains, for us to rest our hearts. It's something that I'm, I'm highly aware of, you know. You know, Natalie, who's here uh, as well right now, you know, who I've been working with her for about eight, nine years. I mean, she certainly sees has seen, seen me go and go and go for certain periods, but you know, it's not a it's not a common practice of something that I do on a daily basis. Where it's like, you know, there are going to be periods, as I'm sure you have, where you know, you yes. told me you got to go to Vegas tomorrow, where you may not, you know, always get your sacred eight hours of sleep, but you know, God darn it, I'm going to try. That's for sure. I got eight. I got eight last night. Amazing. Yeah. And then we spoke at seven this morning. And 100%. 100%. Wide awake and recharged. That's my point. But that ultimately to me is like real wealth at the end of the day, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I feel, I don't know, I, for whatever reason, I feel poor on the days that I only sleep two hours or three hours. You know what I mean? Like figuratively speaking. Well, I totally get that because I feel more like robbed of the joy of the day. Yeah. There's something that's just not quite right in my life. And you know, it's, I don't know what, I don't know why it's been celebrated or romanticized as such, but there is this thing about like, I'm grinding. Yes. You know what I mean? Like I'm out here grinding. It's just like, I don't know, maybe you're going to lead a shorter life. I mean, I hope you get it all in while you can or something, but I'm a cross country runner. So it's always been about distance versus like Mm -hmm. the hundred or the 400 or even the 800. You know what I mean? It's really been about you know, and I, and I ran track, but my particular race was a 3,200. That's how I look at life in a lot of ways, you know? That's a great race. metaphor. Yeah. But it's also about recovery. I mean, every yeah. athlete will tell you that... 100%. Recovery is as important as training. Yeah. And we have so much science around yeah. it now. That's what surprises me, that we are so data-driven. Mm-hmm. And yet the data is so clear and unequivocal. Yeah. But we still romanticize that kind of machismo... Yeah. I'm always on. I'll sleep when I'm dead. Yeah. You snooze, you lose. What the fuck is that? I'm sleep when you're dead. You know what I mean? I asked John. You may be Bon-Dieu. dead sooner rather than later, but anyway. Yeah, as you know, know because you, you've come to my apartment in New York, John mm-hmm. Bon Jovi used to be living upstairs. So of I, 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 know asked, that. I asked. Mercer Street legend. Yes. Yeah. I asked John if he would redo the lyrics of I'll sleep when I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> Did you really? I did. I said it would be such an amazing cultural moment yeah, yeah, <laughs> to yeah. redo this. Uh, what do you say? These lyrics. He wasn't ready, but maybe you yeah. can convince him. You're better at convincing music legends to do things than I am. Yeah, I got a. It's 50 50. <laughs> but it's worth trying. No, it's worth trying. Maybe yeah. we can come up with something like I'll sleep when I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into that lately. If I'm feeling a little tired, it's like it's not really time for like caffeine or anything else. It's time for like a nap. Can you have a nap in your office? Not really. It's not really set up for that. Yeah. Yeah. That's more of like a home Mm -hmm. type of thing. So at the Thrive office, you have a nap room Mm. with a nap pod. And actually these nap pods have a privacy visor. Really? And noise cancelling headphones. That's a really good idea. I'll send you the info. And you can actually put it anywhere. Really? You don't need a dedicated room. Okay. And I think businesses are beginning to recognize that it's an incredible productivity tool. Beyond. Because yeah. you know, if, if, if your employee is tired in the middle of the afternoon, if he has a 20-minute nap, it's like suddenly being gifted a second <clears throat> day. I like my naps longer than that. You like 20? Well, 20 is, is really a power nap. Yeah. And it can re- restore you. Yeah, but it's also about the cycle too, no? 20 minutes is a very good cycle. Yeah. And actually, Winston Churchill coined the term mm-hmm. power naps, and yeah. he won the Second World War. So yeah. She- <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. It can't be bad. Yeah. Let's just go back to the beginnings. Yeah. At the age of 11, mm-hmm. you get a job in a radio station. How yeah. did that happen? I was really interested in working. I think it may have been just a a way to get out of the house, a way to get to the real world sooner, I suppose. So my dad, I don't know how he did it. I really should FaceTime him right now and ask him. <laughs> but he got me an apprenticeship for the summer with the National Weather Service. 
that's when we were talking about hurricanes earlier, and I was talking about what the Category 5 is. And, you know, it's generally miles that are north of 155 miles per hour and, like, winds and whatnot. So I learned all about all of this when I was nine. But it was just so mundane, and I was working around adults, and it just wasn't electrifying enough for me. So I really got into music after that, and I started winning a lot of radio contests for this station in San Francisco. And I won so many contests that they ultimately kind of forbid me to win any more. But they said, you clearly have an interest for what we do, so maybe you should come down and get a tour, or we'd love to meet you. Then, as it, as it still is now, I kind of took that as a foot in the door, and I never left. And uh, I kind of became a very quick fixture there. You know, it's interesting, because actually this is on iHeart. iHeart was formerly Clear Channel. I actually worked for Clear Channel. The station was owned by Evergreen, which then became Chancellor. And then actually what happened in 1996 when, you know, they did the uh, the deregulation in terms of, you know, media and whatnot and, and, you know, the FCC, Federal Communications and Bill Clinton. So what happened is that companies then in 1996, once it was deregulated, all of the mom and pop stations that some of them still exist, like MS and uh, a number of others, I believe Intercity is another one. Those who wanted to could then go up and buy, but that's how Clear Channel was created, is that they basically went and acquired all of these mom and pop stations like Evergreen, Clear Channel, and then they lumped them all together in this one group. So here I am, I found myself in, I was probably 17, 18 at the time working for Clear Channel, and which is now iHeart, which is now what we're on, which is awesome. So that's how I came to work at 11 years old was through... And stayed there. And, calling, and in calling, fact, calling. Yeah. And in fact, uh, left high school. Yeah, I was asked to leave, rather. Yeah. <laughs> you were asked <laughs> to leave because you were never there. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just was willful more, more than anything, you know. I was going to all-boys Catholic high school. You know, they required you to obviously be on time, which I never was, to shave. So any facial hair or anything like that, you know, you were forbidden to have. And, um, you know, I also really questioned uh, a lot of things in terms of uh, religion at that time. You know, religion was actually really my favorite course because it was why we were all there, why we were all wearing uniforms, why, you know, I was going to this Jesuit Catholic high school and, you know, I had a lot of questions. And now, what are you with these questions? Still, I was at the Vatican two months ago, still trying to answer these questions. But they remain of great interest. Enormous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, enormous. Yeah. And which way are you leaning? Um, I don't know. I'm really fascinated as to how the Romans acquired all of these ancient Egyptian artifacts. How did they make their way to the Vatican? I mean, this is not probably the forum for that, but, you know, yeah, I have a lot of questions about that, you know. Um, and questions about God? Questions about God, too, yeah. And whether... There is uh, more to life than this life? Yeah, I think about that every day. I mean, many times a day, actually. I've thought about it today quite a bit. Which way are you leaning on that? Um, I'm fascinated to know what, you know, the final thoughts will be, what the revelations will be, what the epiphanies will be. Mm-hmm. I think about it a lot. What is it all for? What can I do? What can I affect before I get to that stage? Yeah, I think about it a lot. I love uh, Carl Jung's answer, you mm. know, the great psychologist. They asked him on television, do you believe in God? Mm-hmm. And he said, I don't believe, I know. And I love that because that for me is like the highest form of the answer. If you actually get to know, you know, through some personal experience, personal epiphany. So it's not a matter of belief. Yeah, I don't know if I would. I mean, God is is from my own perspective is 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 a um, a very tidy way to classify it, mm-hmm. you know. But do I believe in a stronger uh, spiritual jet stream and undercurrent, you know, that's carrying us all through? Yeah, I very much so do. Well, that's really another word for God. Yeah, right? it's a t- yeah. yeah tidy way to classify it, as I put it. But <laughs> exactly. Yeah, for sure. It's like a, yeah. it's like the higher power or whatever word yeah. or. Phrase yeah. anybody's comfortable with. Yeah. That's what's exciting about our times. Yeah, that um, 
we don't need to cling to just a tidy way of describing yeah. this indescribable reality. Indescribable indeed, yes, yeah. Yes, that we are trying to kind of fit yeah. into our own rational yeah. word system. Yeah, because statistically, I shouldn't be sitting here on this couch with you right now, you know? Statistically speaking. Statistically, you know, I'm an African-American male who didn't finish high school, who didn't get oh, a college did diploma. You did a diploma, yeah. Yeah, in the end, I did ultimately get a diploma, but, but just statistically. So I'm only stating it to say that there has to be a current of the spiritual sea that is carrying me through and protecting me to whatever destination I'm due to arrive at. And that's for me to see what that is in the end. And I'm curious to know what that is. But until then, you know, I'm, I'm just going to uh, keep writing the chapters. So that's the way I see it. Does that give you a special sense of responsibility? Mm-hmm. Yeah, enormous. Yeah. Yeah, it's been weighing heavily, me on, uh, heavily on me today, too. Yeah. Why today, particularly? I've been thinking a lot about just communication, you know, just about what we put out there. The energy, just I'm thinking about it that a lot. I don't mean to be mm-hmm. cryptic, but we spoke this morning, so I think you know what I'm talking about. Right. Yeah. It's interesting because we were talking earlier and you reminded us of your early days around um, the weather mm-hmm. and understanding hurricanes and yeah. what it means. And the fact That's why that I also there used is- the term jet stream a moment ago, too. Yes. Yeah. And the fact that there is an eye in the hurricane, mm. you know, you inhabit a world which is very used to constant feuds among artists. You know, I did a podcast recently with Katy Perry, for example, mm. and we talked about her feud with Taylor Swift. Mm. So when you see these feuds, which may appear to people from the outside like kind of reality TV, but in yeah. fact involve real human beings with real feelings. Yeah. What do you think? Is there a way it can be done differently, that you can play a role in how it's done differently? You're right. You know, there are people with real lives and real feelings, and this does matter. You know, but I, yeah, I, I relate it to how um, in the former chapter of my life, how I went about working with artists who were self-contained, like an artist like Lana Del Rey, who I signed, or someone like Chief Keef. And I would never tell that artist, oh, you should record this song. I just wouldn't meddle to that degree, you know, if I believe in that person as a writer. You know, I may impart other little nuggets of wisdom that might not be so little, but actually kind of big in terms of like how they kind of uh, set the ship on its course. But I don't really like to meddle necessarily to that degree because at the end of the day, I, I just have a, a real regard for these individuals as artists. And I, and I do see artistry as genius. You know, I, I think that uh, everyone knows what they're doing at the end of the day. And these are highly, highly, highly intelligent people. You know, maybe the world sees them as entertainers or sees them as um, whatever, but you know, in my world, in my mind, and in the real world, not even in my world, you know, these people are, uh, are, are, are really real geniuses, you know? They're also aware as well. I found myself in some really, really challenging positions, you know, especially as, as, as of late, as it relates because of just how hyper-connected my universe is in a lot of ways, you know, the constellation, the you know, solar system, the Milky Way, <laughs> if you will, so... Yeah, it does pose some challenges for me, you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, you know, I ain't writing the script, you know. I may be providing the platform, I may be helping with generalized ideas. But more importantly, it's never been an objective of mine to ever put things on a negative path, really decisively so, if you know what I'm saying. Whereas... um, there's certain news outlets, like we talked about as well earlier today, and that's how they get clicks. That's mm-hmm. what they do. That's how they run their business. That's how they sell to advertisers is by doing that. It's never been like, oh, this is going to do that, so you know we have to stir it up like this. And that's never been the case of how I've ever seen things like that. It's never, you know, it's, there's too much talent amongst all of us to be had. But on the human side. Mm-hmm. 
given that you know that there is the eye in the hurricane, mm-hmm. do you sometimes wonder how you can help people you interact with to know also that there is such a center in all of us that is mm-hmm. a center of peace mm-hmm. and strength from which we can deal with whatever life is bringing to us, however unfair or unjust or disappointing, in a way where we have more control and where we react from a more centered place. I don't know if it's normal, you know, in creative entertainment business, whatever you want to call it, you know, but I've gotten deeply involved in the personal lives of the artists that I've dealt with at times where I felt like there was real true danger uh, ahead and I could see it. And that started to happen for me at a very early age as well. I think I can kind of talk about it now, but I mean, there was a period when I was working with uh, with Whitney very only early on where I saw certain things that I, and I was 23 at the time, and I saw certain things when I was in the studio when we were making um, her last album, last album she made before she unfortunately passed away. And there were certain things that I was seeing in the studio at the time, and I was like, I don't know, this doesn't look right, like... I know Clive is telling me one thing, but it looks like something else to me. That's Clive Davis. Yes. And he wasn't aware, you know, and I know him very well. He wasn't aware of what I knew, what I was seeing firsthand. But it taught me a very important lesson with respect to, as they say, on almost a cliche way now, if you see something, say something. Mm -hmm. It wasn't enough for me to feel like, oh, this is a great opportunity and I'm working with like a legend and a national treasure and someone whom I really admire, but like this is someone whom if I'm going to work with this person at this level, this is someone that I deeply care about. I have to say something. And you did. And I did, yeah. And that led to her going into a program for a while. But yeah, Mm. I mean, I don't don't want to talk about it too much because it's a heavy subject for me. I only say it to say, though, that there oftentimes, you know, there was a kid that I was working with by the name of Chief Keith and I go, I go in deep, you know, it's not ankle deep for me, it's chest and any deeper I'm going to drown. You know what I mean? Yes. It's, it's always been something that, uh, for some people it's an Achilles heel for, for me, it's just a bond with people that you create with at that level. And, you know, there were times when Whitney looked out for me, I was really sick one time here in LA when we were working together and she had her doctor come and see me, you know? So there's some reciprocity involved in that, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to be a silent bystander at all to anything like that. And that's also something that we are all grappling with right now as discussions around mental health and mm-hmm. depression and anxiety and addiction mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. have now risen to the surface. They're yeah. part of corporate America. Yeah. And so what you said about if you see something, say something, is also, mm-hmm. also trusting our intuition. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we may not have like hardcore evidence but we have that human part that connects to another human yeah. part and knows without really yeah. having the data to prove it. Yes. Yeah, it's instinct. It's instinct and trusting that instinct. And also, yeah. you have been yourself in places where, as you put it to me, you know, the world was closing in. Yeah. I mean, you know, this will come out um, when it does, but we're talking to each other today on September 11th. As I was preparing my thoughts, you know, for what we may speak about today, um, I realized, you know, one of the things that really saved my life was therapy. I owe a lot to my doctor, Dr. Phyllis Cohen, who was very helpful to me. Because I, I was, as I was telling you earlier, I was living in New York at that time. I lived in New York for 10 years. I moved there when I was 19. And I worked for Clive Davis, who... You know, there's like a Mount Rushmore of a music business. He's like George Washington, you know? So talk about being thrown in the deep end of the pool at 19 years old. No family in New York, no friends even. And I was just there entirely to blaze a path for my career at that time. It was a lot. It was a lot super quickly. I moved there on September 11, 2000. And then what happened Mm -hmm. a year later was just like, Whoa. I was living in Jersey City at the time, and I'd probably say three-quarters of the economy of the city was tied to the financial district and the World Trade Center. And so many people worked there. They worked at Morgan Stanley. They worked in, you know, in the Twin Towers. 
Uh, many people worked at uh, the underground mall that was there where the PATH train went, right? I was supposed to go in to work early that day, but I didn't because I was at Madison Square Garden the night before with Clive because there was a Michael Jackson anniversary show that was there. So it was a late night and I ended up not going in early, but usually my route in living in Jersey City was going from Grove Street to World Trade Center, transferring, going mm-hmm. uptown. So thank God, you know, because I had to be in the, you know. Thank was, God you slept in. Thank God I slept in. <laughs> thank God I slept in. But, uh, you know, maybe that wasn't even the best thing because what I saw unfold that day was something that left such a tattoo on my memory and on my heart that I'll never forget for the rest of my life because it was as if you were watching the world then, you know. What happened then after that was, you know, just the pressure of being in New York. So, I just decided that I didn't have all the answers and that, you know, I was under extreme stress at a very early age and then I didn't have the answers and I needed help. And that's when you started um, seeking therapy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you saw the value and it's, and that was like a very different way of looking at therapy than so many people still look at it as a sign of weakness. Yeah, no, I don't. I, I, I don't at all. I guess so. Those, those are the same people that say um, sleep is for the week, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we should actually see if there is a correlation. Yeah, I'd be surprised. Between or the not. two, but probably. <laughs> yes, now I'm yeah. a big believer. Both my daughters are in therapy, and I felt it was a gift to them to introduce yeah. them to that yeah. as something that could help them through whatever life brings. Yeah, yeah, very much so. You know, I think we all need perspective. I don't think any of us really have the answers. And I also think, more importantly, there are a lot of things that shaped us no matter what household we came from, you know. That's the one thing that I see when I when you ask me the question, when you asked me earlier, and I ask a lot of personal questions with the people that I work with, sometimes at the point of being almost too intrusive, but it helps me understand who I'm dealing with. What happened to you when you were 14? You know, what happened when you were seven? I don't share that information with anybody. I don't disclose that with anybody. You know, I know a lot. And, you know, I've, I've just tried to help where it's not been preachy, where I can. And, and I've had a pretty good effective rate at that, at being able to influence outcomes in that regard. But at the same time, I'm not God, you know. So I just pass along and bequeath the information that I've been given. It's, I think it's, a, it's our duty to do that. Right. And and it's um, more likely that we are going to do that mm-hmm. when we are not running on empty ourselves. A hundred percent. That's what I found. I found yeah. that when I'm burnt out or mm-hmm. powering through, yeah. and we all have to do that sometimes, but when I used to do that on a regular basis, I felt like I was the worst version of myself. What happened to you? What was it that led to this presently? So what happened is that in 2007, Mm -hmm. two years into building the Huffington Post, Mm -hmm. a divorced mother of two teenage daughters Mm -hmm. living in this house, Mm -hmm. I collapsed. Here? In my office where we were sitting earlier. Mm -hmm. I got up from my desk to get a sweater. I was feeling cold. Mm -hmm. And I hit my head on my desk and... Mm broke my cheekbone, Mm. nearly lost my right eye. Mm. And and as I went from doctor to doctor, trying to find out what was wrong with me, because, you know, when something like that happens... It's alarming. It's alarming. They think they don't know what's wrong. Do you have a brain tumor? Do you have a heart defect? And it was kind of amazing. I had this really very philosophical doctor who's who collected all the different Mm -hmm. MRIs and echocardiograms and Mm -hmm. gave Mm -hmm. me the diagnosis. And he said, you have civilization's disease, burnout. And he said, and there is nothing the medical profession can do for you. Mm -hmm. You have to change the way you live your life. And this has never happened to you before? No. It was really like having pushed myself for so long, it's why I love the flame metaphor. Yeah, it's like my flame was going, mm-hmm. but I was—I feel like I was given another chance. Yeah, and so I take this chance very seriously. Mm-hmm. And part of the work I'm doing now through Thrive and mm-hmm. through everything I do is yeah. to to help awaken that in people. As you said, you can't make people. 
no. do anything. But no. I think we, we can all help awaken the truth in each other yeah. and share the science. And also what I have found is that people don't change beliefs and behavior through data. Mm-hmm. They do it through stories. Yeah, yeah. And, and you understand that. They do it obviously through experiences, mm-hmm. but also through stories of people they admire. Yeah. And that's why I think it would be interesting to see how you can do that through music because nothing touches people more than music. It's the reason why I wanted to sit down with you today, you know, because I realized in our conversation that, uh, I don't know, I guess the role that I play, I suppose, you know, in that regard and how people look at that and whatever pearls of wisdom I can pass along, you know, I don't have all the answers, you know, and I'm certainly not a saint either, but, you know, I do have a couple things that I'm pretty clear on for sure, you know, unapologetically so very Mm -hmm. clear on, but I've done the work to be clear on them. You know, there's pride in that, but there's also, um, it's also cool to be vulnerable. Absolutely. And to yeah. also recognize that we are all works in progress. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So after that, you turned your life around? I did. <laughs> and it was not overnight. I don't yeah. believe in overnight transformations. How I much think, were you sleeping up until that point? Oh, like four or five hours. Yeah. I, I mean, I had totally bought into the collective delusion. Yeah. Sleep when you're dead and I'm grinding. You sleep when you're dead, you yeah. know. I'm, Building a company, I have to be super mom. Yeah. So I totally understand where the world is coming from. So it's interesting. So that was two years into you starting the company. Mm -hmm. And you sold the company six years after starting it? I sold the company in 2011, so... Six, seven years. Yeah, from from 2005. And do you think once you started to take better care of yourself that the company grew by leaps and bounds? Yes, I really profoundly believe that even mm-hmm. though we've all succeeded by powering through and yeah, of course. doing all these things, nobody can deny that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you're involved in anything that includes creativity, decision mm-hmm. making, mm-hmm. and all the things that our lives are constantly involved in, yeah. if we can tap into our creativity, our strength, our wisdom that we all have in us, it's just amazing. It's just, there's absolutely no earthly reason why we would do it any other way. I was thinking about it the other day when I went from um, L.A. to Detroit. And I landed and I barely had a very little sleep. That was probably the last time I did that. Like felt like burned the candle at both ends to that degree. But I realized that day that I was in no capacity to make any decision yes. about anything at all whatsoever. <laughs> Because I couldn't even think clearly enough, you know what I mean? I was like lucky to be standing up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I got three hours of sleep, something like that. But again, I was in no capacity to make it be any sophisticated decision. And on you any didn't. Level. No, I didn't, no. But you see, I think that level of awareness is the yeah. first step. Yeah. Because think of how many people make terrible decisions yeah. in similar circumstances. Mm-hmm. I mean... I think what Elon Musk is doing is kind of a teachable moment because as he himself acknowledged, berating analysts on an earnings call was not the smartest idea and he attributed it to his lack of sleep in the following earnings call. Any of us would have done the same thing. Yes. You know, in, in such a handicapped state. And so. we've all been in similar situations. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Bill Clinton famously said every big mistake I made, I made when I was tired. He did not specify what mistakes, but yeah. we all yeah. can say something similar. Mm-hmm. But... Even on a regular basis, there is also that sense of breathlessness about Mm -hmm. catching up with everything. And you tweeted something which I saw identified with. Mm. You said, in a constant and perpetual state of sorry for the late reply. (laughs) That's true. It's very true. That's very true. So how do you deal with feeling perpetually harried? Um, Perpetually apologetic. (laughs) 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 You know? Perpetually apologetic. Um, You know, it's the eye of the hurricane. It's not really how I feel, but it's how I react to other people's anxiety. Mm -hmm. That really is the toxic part or the part that's the polluting part, at least for my sanity. You mean how you react to people feeling 
Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, um, do I feel bad? Yes. You know, do I feel bad about, uh, arriving here at 6.15 when I was due to arrive here at 6 p.m.? Yes, for sure. But you and I know each other at this point why I know that you are not going to hold that against me. But there are other people that would. No names shall be given, but there are other people that would find that deeply, wildly offensive. But you never know what someone else is going through, do you? You know. But that then goes back to how can we not let other people's reactions mm affect how we are. Our sanity? Yeah. Yeah, no, I've gotten better with that with age, for sure. Because it's just the eye of the hurricane. And now I recently had the chance to sit down with Pete Bills, the Vice President of Sleep Science and Research for Sleep Number. We spoke about the connection between sleep and performance. We all know, Pete, that we feel better when we get enough sleep. But what are the specific ways that sleep affects our performance and our physical and mental health? Well, when you look at sleep and performance, when you're sleep deprived, it degrades human performance across a swath of areas, both cognitively, emotionally, physically. You know, if you look at the drowsy driving, for instance, and the quality of sleep deprivation and alcohol consumption, our reaction times. You look at roadside accidents and you look at work accidents, they're all directly related to poor sleep. They affect the same areas of the brain. And so we see a wide alignment of poor sleep and accidents both on the road and in the workplace. Fascinating stuff, right? Stick around until the end of this episode to hear my full interview with Pete. He always has the scoop on the latest sleep science. This sleep tip was brought to you by Sleep Number, the bed that knows you, senses you, and adjusts to you. Only at sleepnumber.com slash thrive. So you have to explain to everybody watching and listening, just Mm -hmm. in case they don't know, Mm -hmm. what the eye of the hurricane is, especially since you just watched a guy on CNN (laughs) who flies into the eye of the hurricane. The Category 4 hurricane is headed for the Carolinas right now. And I was looking at a fascinating report about the storm tracker, a guy who flies into the hurricane in order to get an accurate measure of uh, of the width of the hurricane, the diameter of the eye of the hurricane, the velocity of the winds. And he was saying that this hurricane Florence, Hurricane Florence, Apparently has a diameter right now, the eye of the hurricane, of uh, 12 miles. That small. But still large. Pretty large, yeah. But, yeah. but you know, this hurricane I mean, is, imagine is... if we have an eye of the hurricane inside us that's 12 yeah. miles diameter. <laughs> it feels incredibly spacious. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, that's the space that I live in, that 12-mile diameter, for sure. That would be a great song. Yeah. 12-mile diameter. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as much as I can, but outside this house and outside these walls, there's definitely a hurricane going on for sure. All the time. Yeah. But often the hurricane is in our heads. Yeah, very much so. I call it the obnoxious roommate living in our heads. (laughs) Rent free too, by the way. Yes. (laughs) You know? You know, another thing that creates a hurricane inside Mm. our heads Mm is um, holding grudges. Yeah. And you said something else that I love. You said that you try not to hold grudges against anybody Mm -hmm. because grudges are emotional obesity and you'd rather be light about it. I love that term. Yeah, that's another thing that I learned. It ain't worth it, you know? It's not. It's just so not. Actually, the second person that I reached out to, I spoke to you first thing this morning, then I reached out to somebody else and I sent somebody who I've been a bit estranged with the text. It was for no other purpose other than me waking up thinking like, if there's anybody at all who could even remotely be on that list, who can I reach out now to cross off of it? That's how I see it. And there are people probably who feel a certain way about me and I wish that they would. But because um, it's usually over like a grave misunderstanding. It's not really over anything that's that particularly deep. It all really is it. 
Maybe it is, no, but, but not, I think from my perspective, we are only really responsible for the grudges we hold. 100%. We that's, can't be yeah. responsible for the no. grudges others no. hold against us. But no. So is there anybody left on your grudge list? I reached out to that person today. So Amazing. Maybe when they text me back, we can clear it up. Well, no, you can clear it up before they text you back. Yeah. Because we only have to do our part. Yeah. That's great. Let's yeah. celebrate. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, I can't, I don't think that there's anybody else really that I have. I mean, there are people that were once close to me as we all have in our lives yeah. that I don't really speak with that often anymore. But I think about those people every day for sure. But you know? I think that's completely different. It's natural. No, that's not a grudge. That's just, uh, no, we grow differently. Yeah. We grow. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. very natural. Well, that's not a grudge. A grudge is... No, no, a grudge is when you Coming from actually, a far more hostile place. Yes, and it, it's actually, yeah. as somebody put it, it's like drinking poison thinking the other person is going to die. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are different degrees of yeah. grudge. Yeah. But it's anything that occupies space yeah. in our heads and our hearts. Yeah, no, I need that space for some other stuff. It's pretty, pretty valuable real estate, for sure. Absolutely. And yeah. when we realize that, it's so liberating. Yeah. So I'm sure I'll speak to that person tomorrow, and I'm sure we'll clear it up. But I think it's my responsibility to go the extra mile, you know? I do. Now, you've yeah. had many great mentors like uh, Jimmy Irvin, mm -hmm. who helped you along in your career and mm -hmm. taught you a lot. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had any mentors who helped you along this life's journey, the things that we're discussing here? Yeah, my mom and dad, first and foremost, they were the first, for sure, and still. My mom and dad immediately come to mind. You because know, they helped you put things in perspective. Yeah, and, and, and it's, um, you know, in the African-American household, to have two parents who have been married for 45 years is a very unusual yes. thing. And something that I really you know, find to be unique and special and, you know, the, the spine and the backbone of my life. So their wisdom and also like the freedom and the latitude that they gave me at such an early age. I don't even know why they even did really at all, but they did just to be me was the initial mentorship that I needed to really kind of get to, you know, the first few points that were pretty vital and, and, and important. But, uh, Michelle Santosuoso was a great mentor to me. She hired me when I was 16 years old. Clive Davis was a great mentor to me. Keith Naftali was a great mentor to me. Whitney was a great mentor to me. Jimmy, I talk to him every day. He's one of my first few calls every day. It might not even be about anything other than like how the weather is, what's going on in Malibu, how his swimming's <laughs> going that day. But that's good how's enough. How's the hurricane? Yeah, exactly. But it's always... Obi-Wan passing on some real information. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean... I love the fact that uh, when you had that moment of hesitation about mm -hmm. going with him to Apple when mm. he sold beats to Apple yeah, four he slapped years me upside, ago. he slapped me upside my head, you know? <laughs> Oprah was someone that I spoke with a lot around that time, too, who really... Steered you in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Eddie Lampert, he was great. You know, gave me a lot of really good advice around that time. I don't know if you know Eddie Lambert, yes. but he's a good friend of mine as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've had some 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 great people who, you know, without anything to gain, have given me great advice. Those people really come to mind, you know, immediately come to mind because of how much time they took out, repeatedly so, and saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself to impart, you know, and such now wisdom. You, you see yourself paying it forward. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think I've even scratched the surface in that regard yet. You know, I try to. Well, you um, have many, many, many years ahead. Yeah, I hope so. Just Be celebrating great. your 30... I'm 37 now. 30, 37th yeah. birthday. Soon to be 38 this month, yeah. Yeah, but not rushing that along. I'm doing it every day <laughs> in the moment, you know. And there are many moments that you've already created that, as you put it, have a really big and long cultural tail. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is a great way to sum up what you're doing. You know, obviously there is a lot of administrative and mm -hmm. um, 
other things that are not about creativity. They are just about making things happen. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the creative part of what you're doing and the ideas that you wake up with, is that how you would describe it? Um, Moments that have really big, long cultural tales? So I hope, you know, with every idea for sure. But generally, you know, I'm kind of like always playing on the edge of the cliff. If something is inherently daring or provocative or conversation provoking, it's going to cause that, you know, because I've never found that there's much of an upside in the middle. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And that the moments that are remembered and 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 the chances that are taken are usually played on the edges as distinguished from the middle, you know, and the middle is kind of like, just it's just a passive place to live in. So with the ideas that I've, you know, really tried to put forth, that there have always been something that's been, it's given me a new gray hair, something that's always been shit starting. But that's also your um, sort of respect for creativity, you know, the fact that there is something sacred around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. But it's it's about, you know, you, you're not going to be liked by everybody. And, and, and the things that, that you do or the things that you put out there aren't going to be widely accepted by everyone, you know? Well, but not, that's, not, if, not when you operate at the edges. I mean, if you wanted to stay safely in the middle, maybe. Yeah, to me, I've always found that the great art that I love has always been the art that has... People really, really hate it in this vitriolic way, or people really, really love it. Either way, it's causing conversation. Either way, it's something that, you know, when I come in here, you sit down and ask me about, you know what I mean? Or it's something that uh, I hear about in passing or something. It's just, that's where it's, it's, it's really enjoyable for me. It's like, okay, then this, this worked. But you've also done a lot of things that were pretty universally applauded. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I read too many comments to know that, though. (laughs) (laughs) Not just uh, music, but even if we talk about ads, like the Mm -hmm. ad you did with DJ Khaled. Yeah, yeah. That was a pretty good sentiment. Yeah, for sure. It was pretty big, too. I mean, it's tough not to like a baby, you know what I mean? Especially when I got (laughs) Kevin Hart, like, who's one of the biggest, like, movie stars in the world, talking as the baby. It's it's like like cheating. (laughs) You know? Like, how can you not like a talking baby? We're now, as you said, September 11th, and tomorrow, mm-hmm. September 12th, mm-hmm. Apple is going to release Screen Time, mm. and you're going to be there. And it's Brought to big, you by? Well, it's kind of an amazing you know. cultural moment. Yeah, no, it's huge. Because for Apple, the biggest kind of, in terms of importance and cultural yeah. impact technology company to acknowledge that we need to set boundaries technology and at yeah. least give us the tools. Yeah, and the agency yeah, to use them is a very important moment. Yeah, no, I've, I've, I've traveled a lot in the past year. You know, I've seen a lot, been a lot of places and seen a lot and really have observed people's behavior. I was in the Maldives in January. I don't know how long it took anybody else to get there, but it certainly took me almost a day to get there from here. And why would you go someplace that's that far and that remote with your loved ones <laughs> just to sit in a restaurant and look at your phone? Like, it's crazy to me. Like, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like there's a time and a place for everything. But I mean, I'm at kind of like the median millennial age where I still remember and appreciate what analog means. Mm-hmm. Yet my teenage years were the Internet. So I don't know. It's it's a weird place. It's, I, I, it's this duality of what I understand it, you know, of what makes both sensibilities tick. But. It is something that's really important, and I'm glad that Apple's doing it. I'm glad that we're doing it because it's it's it's. Um, I think people can kind of lose track of time in that regard. Exactly, you and to know? be able to have a dashboard that yeah. tells you, like how this much time right now, spent. feels great. I can't hear anything. You know, this is like silent, still, in the moment, analog. Like this is like how my mornings sound. When I was talking to you this morning, it was just, just like this. And this is beautiful, you know, I mean, and, but, you know, you have all these other distractions that kind of pollute the thought process a lot, which is really not that healthy at all. 
And as long oh. as we can preserve the some time and to really be fully present, to yeah. preserve the flame, yeah. that, that's all we're talking about. 100%. We're, yeah. we're never going to eliminate, nor do we want to eliminate all that technology has brought us. No, there's, there's, I mean, an incalculable like upside of, of, of the connectivity and what that's brought us. And I was chatting with my friend David Hogg earlier and it's remarkable like what they're doing out on the road. David Hogg is, you know, one of the the kids who uh, survived the yes. Parkland, Florida school shooting. And, you know, we were chatting today about his efforts and youth voter registration. And the only way that they could have galvanized in such a short amount of time is through connectivity technology. And David is 18 years old and that's what he knows is that's the world he was born into. So it's it's second nature to him to be able to actually connect people on that level to really kind of get out the message in that particular way. So that's a positive way. It's an amazingly positive you way. Know? But also you look at these incredible activists. Yeah. And you hope that they're going to also preserve the flame because especially when you are rightly consumed mm-hmm. by the justice of your cause, mm-hmm. it's so easy to feel, oh, you know, I can't afford to Disconnect. Disconnect. And we are so clear and the evidence is so overwhelming that if we don't disconnect, it's not going to be sustainable. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. But I'm, I'm proud of what's happening. And, you know, it's great that you were able to um, really be the catalyst to usher that in. That's fantastic. Well, but what you I think we all have our part to play mm-hmm. in this uh, drama. Mm-hmm. And I think what is amazing is that there are different people who will resonate to what you say, to what I say, mm-hmm. to what the artists you work with say. And it will take kind of a chorus yes. of multiple voices yes. to change the culture. Yes. I think it'll take flight. I think people want the help. So let's that. end with politics. Mm. You said earlier, you know, that the fact that you are in a rare position of being a successful young black man, how, how do you experience what is happening right now? We would, let's take one example. Mm-hmm. Let's take the campaign against Colin Kaepernick, mm. who is a friend of yours. Yeah, very good friend. Yeah. I spoke to him last night for like an hour. You know, Cap is like a really special individual. He really is. Like, you know, think about whether or not you would really give up. I mean, he was making $17 million a year in his last year in the league as a quarterback of the uh, 49ers. You know, imagine deciding that something is of greater cause, greater calling, and greater principle, that that is not worth it. And I don't know a lot. I don't know anybody else outside of Cap, actually. I was going to say I don't know a lot of people. No, I don't know anybody else but him who I've ever met who's ever decided to do that and take that stance. He deserves to go down in history. He really does. And um, it's not for me to talk about a lot of the things that uh, you know are going on with, with, with what he's dealing with with the NFL, but I just think he's a remarkable person. I really do. Well, he definitely has captured hearts and minds everywhere. So the impact has been tremendous. We went to dinner this summer, and we couldn't even have a conversation for five minutes without people coming up to the table. And as you noted earlier, I work with a lot of people, but I've never seen anything like that. Hmm. Then when we leave, and the, and the Uber circling around the block in New York City takes a minute for them to come back around, right? Standing outside, he's got no security, you know, Caps, he's like Big Bird, you know what I mean, out on the street. You know, everybody like can see him from a mile away and whatnot. And it's like just everybody passed on the street. There was not one, there was no vitriol, nothing. Just positive, just, I mean, I've never gratitude. seen it. Gratitude, yes. Yeah, gratitude. So I can't say enough positive things about Colin. I think he's a great guy and... um you know, he and I are going to do some great things, too, that we're talking about doing right now as well. So I'm excited about that as well. Can't talk about it right now, but uh, I'm excited to get into them. 
with her. Well, I can't wait. And yeah, I Larry, I can't thank you enough for being here. Thank you. I'm really thank grateful you for to me. you for. I'm grateful for you. I mean, like <laughs> I, I, you know, admire what you've created, what you've done, and and it's a real inspiration. So thank you. You know, well, thank you for what you're doing, and thank you for all the vulnerability and authenticity that you brought to our time together. Yeah. Thank you. Pleasure's mine. And thank, thank you. you all for watching and listening. And check out thriveglobal.com for more updates of our upcoming podcasts. And now I'm excited to share my recent conversation with Pete Bills the Vice President of Sleep Science and Research for Sleep Number. So Pete, fall means it's back to school time. What does the research show about the connection between sleep and school performance? And how can parents help their kids, especially teens who are addicted to technology and love to stay up late, how can parents help them get enough sleep? Great question, and I have two teenage daughters. I've learned more about uh, sleep watching them turn into wonderful women from children. It really is amazing to see the difference that sleep makes in their performance and development. Um, You know, there have been a lot of research done over the years. A great study done in uh, both Israel and the U.S. shows that there's a direct correlation, controlling for everything else, between scholastic performance and sleep quantity. It's a dose response. It seems like every 10 to 15 minutes of extra sleep that our children get results in a better grade. So from the difference between an A and a B and a B and a C and a C and a D, um, it, it's really a dose response. So it's, it's amazing how just a little bit of sleep change can make a huge difference in their scholastic ability. And any particular help that parents can give their children, you think just giving them that information would help? Well, I, I think it's a great time also for them to realize the impact of, as you've talked about many, many times, the uh, impact of caffeine and screen time. Uh, you know, caffeine has a long half-life and the amount of energy drinks that our kids consume right now is off the charts. Even uh, uh, energy drink at three o'clock is going to diminish the quality and the quantity of their sleep, uh, it, especially deep sleep early in the night. And uh, media consumption before they go to bed. Uh, I love your advice of locking away your phone (laughs) in a box in a closet, uh, away from your bed. With my girls, we used to set two alarms. One was when it was time to go to bed so they could start their routine and get rid of those things. And the other was when they woke up. But uh, media consumption just consumes the children in three different ways. One, it always displaces sleep. One more text, one more tweet, one more episode to the blue light that it emits. It reduces the production of melatonin, delays sleep, delays quality sleep, deep sleep. And then three, the racing mind. Uh, as soon as someone puts their phone down, that doesn't mean their brain sh- turns off. They, it just really makes it very difficult for our children to get to sleep. So caffeine consumption, screen consumption are, are, are very, very important. And then on top of all that with our kids, when they enter adolescence, their middle of the night shifts compared to what their mm-hmm. parents are, almost up to two hours. So routines become even more important. And light exposure and avoidance is critical. An hour before you go to bed, try to get out of those bright lights, put your phones away, put them in the night mode so you don't get that blue light exposure. Then as soon as you wake up in the morning, get them in the brightest light you possibly can so that it resets their clocks and they'll sleep better because of that. Great. Well, um, my kids are out of college, but that's great advice for those who have kids at home. We all know, Pete, that we feel better when we get enough sleep. But what are the specific ways that sleep affects our performance and our physical and mental health? Well, when you look at sleep and performance, uh, when you're sleep deprived, it degrades human performance across a swath of areas, both cognitively, emotionally, physically. You know, if you look at the drowsy driving, for instance, and the uh, equality of sleep deprivation and alcohol consumption, our reaction times... Uh, You look at roadside accidents and you look at uh, work accidents, they're all directly related to poor sleep. Uh, They they affect the same areas of the brain. So we see a a wide alignment of, of poor sleep and accidents both on the road and in the workplace. The other thing that's really important is if you look at things like, uh, 
we're entering the, the cold and flu season, for instance. We know that um, airborne viruses, you're three to five times more susceptible to be affected by those when you're sleep deprived than compared to when you're uh, well rested. And when you get your flu shot, for instance, when you're sleep deprived, it will delay its effectiveness up, up to a month. So it's important to make sure that you're really well rested all the time. I think that you and I have talked a lot about is... Um our bedrooms. You know, for me, I've uh, turned my bedroom into a sleep sanctuary. Uh, I have dark curtains, lots of pillows, a great eye mask, and I pick a time every night before I go to sleep to escort my phone and my iPad out of my bedroom. So what's the connection between sleep and temperature? And what's the ideal sleep environment we should create in our bedrooms? Well, the sleep environment is super critical to getting great sleep. Even well-intentioned, if your bedroom is not set up for great sleep, it can be disruptive. And temperature is one of those big things that is critical in regulating the amount and the quality of the sleep that we get. While most people know that our average body temperature is about 98.6 degrees, it does exhibit a wide circadian rhythm. It rises during the day to keep us alert and vigilant so that we can be productive all the day, but then it free falls at night to help us go to sleep. That repeats itself all every 24 hours. Ironically, though, as our body temperature falls at night to put us to sleep as part of the sleep process, we feel hotter because the only way that our body can facilitate such a free fall in our core body temperature is to heat up the skin. Our hands, our head, and our feet warm up to get rid of heat out of the body so that our body temperature falls and we get into deep sleep. Now, if you can't manage that heat in the bedroom, it dis it's disruptive to sleep. How many times have you turned over the pillow to find the cool side <laughs> because your head was hot all of a sudden? You went to bed comfortably, you woke up uncomfortably. That's to facilitate sleep. So you need to get rid of that. And the best way to do that, of course, is to be in a cool bedroom. You, you talked about that. 65 degrees to 67 degrees is ideal so that heat goes away from the body into the environment. Circulation is really important. If you have a ceiling fan or a, a fan in the room that blows air around and, and, and makes it... Um, much more tolerable as far as heat around your body, lighter bedding during the warm warm days and humid days, and what you wear to bed is a, is a big difference. And I always recommend people to take a warm bath or a shower right before they go to bed. What that does is accelerates the skin warming so that all of that heat transfer happens when you're out of the bed. So when you go to bed, evaporation from the shower and the heat acceleration has already happened so it doesn't happen in the bed and you actually sleep more comfortably. Really good tips to help people get a good night's sleep. I love that. I always have a warm bath um, before I go to sleep. It also helps slow down your brain and your thoughts. But so if sleep has such a big impact on our mood, it makes sense that it has a big influence on how we deal with others. So how does sleep affect our relationships? And also a question I get asked a lot, what should couples that have different sleep schedules need to do if they are going to be able to be together, sleep in the same bed, and get a good night's sleep, and especially if one of them snores. What do you recommend? <laughs> Let's start with that one. Uh, you know, the Better Sleep Council and the National Sleep Foundation both have reported over the years that uh, nearly one in four, about 23% of U.S. couples sleep apart regularly because of incompatibilities like that. Snoring, uh, they prefer different temperatures, they prefer different bed firmnesses or pillows, or they steal the blankets, you name it, the problem's there. The, the key for couples is to identify those and then try to figure out a way to uh, address those. For instance, if someone likes to read in bed or watch TV, the other one doesn't, then sleep timers on the TV, dimmer lights, uh, a reader instead of uh, a book with a bright light. Uh, so Compromise is always great for, for couples. Snoring, uh, that's a tougher one, but uh, earplugs are good. Um, if you can get an adjustable foundation, for instance, with your bed and raise your head slightly, that will help with snoring. And a couple of lifestyle changes, lose a little bit of weight, a little bit less alcohol at night um, will help with the, the snoring advice. 
but um, th- there are ways to get around those types of things. But you're right. Um, uh, sleep is a an important part of a relationship and sleeping together is important. While that arrangement of sleeping apart may work for some, most relationship experts say it could lead to, to bigger problems. So you, you really want to solve that. But overall, when you're sleeping well, you're a better partner in, in so many different ways. You're more attentive. You're more interesting. Research has shown that when you're tired to your partner, you look less attractive and less healthy. And you want to maintain a vibrant relationship and, and sleep plays a critical role in that. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, frankly, I feel that if you are really disturbed by your partner snoring and you wake up miserable and irritable, that can't possibly be good for the relationship. You might be better off sleeping in a separate room and reconnecting, fully recharged and uh, with your love for each other reignited. So um, as you said, Pete, I don't think there is one way to do it. Just remembering that when you wake up recharged, everything, including your relationships, are better. There's no question about that. Um, and you're right. Uh, it needs it needs to be looked at individually. You, you need to compromise as a couple always. Uh, I've been married 24 years and have managed uh, very well to still appeal to my wife, and she <laughs> still appeals to me. And it's because of you know great sleep and uh, all of the all of the benefits that that brings. Thank you so much, Pete. Thank you. And also thank you to our sponsor, Sleep Number. If you are not sleeping well, it could be your mattress. The Sleep Number bed knows, senses, and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably. This is not a bed, it's proven quality sleep. Discover the difference at sleepnumber.com slash thrive.